Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matišák, and I work as the Deputy Head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it is not Russian Pravda. As Wikipedia says, Charles III, born Charles Philip Arthur George on November 14, 1948, is King of the United Kingdom and the 14 other Commonwealth realms. Last year, at the age of 73, he became the oldest person to accede to the British throne, also after having been the longest serving her apparent and Prince of Wales in British history. King Charles' coronation will take place on May 6, and he has really big shoes to fill. According to the Hugo poll from May 2022, so a few months before her death, Charles' mother, Queen Elizabeth II, has been admired by the British public. At the time, 57% of respondents claim that she has done a very good job during her time on the throne, and another 24% said she has done a fairly good job. But there are also other challenges King Charles faced. As the newspaper Guardian pointed out, on the eve of his coronation, a survey shows only 3 in 10 Britons think that monarchy is very important. The poll by the National Centre for Social Research shows public support for the monarchy has fallen to history low. A total of 45% of respondents said either it should be abolished, was not at all important, or not very important. So wearing the super tunica for the coronation, which weighs about 2 kg and is made of cloth of gold silk thread wrapped in a thin pieces of gold or silver gilt metal, won't be the biggest burden of King Charles III reign. Dr. Tessa Dunlop is a British historian, writer and broadcaster. Her latest book is titled Elizabeth and Philip, a story of a young love, rage and monarchy. So it was no-brainer to ask her to talk about the upcoming coronation of King Charles III. Why does she think that he will be a caretaker monarch? What to expect from the next royal generation represented by Prince William and Princess Kate? And how does she assess the story of Harry and Meghan? Read the Dr. Dunlop's book and listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Charles III succeeded his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, as the British monarch on September 8th last year. The United Kingdom awaits his coronation, which will take place on May 6th. From what we have seen during his still fresh reign, what kind of king will Charles III be? He is a caretaker king. A caretaker king is an individual who just sits pretty until a longer reign kicks in. I mean, I think even if Charles, with the extraordinary genes of his parents, who both lived late into their 90s, even if he's blessed with their genes, he's not going to be with us for more than 20 years. I think it very unlikely. He drinks more wine than his father. Don't tell anyone. So I think it's very unlikely that we'll... It is uh, just recorded. I'm sorry. It is just recorded. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The point is, it's a short reign. And it's a bridging reign, but it's also a very challenging reign. Very, very difficult to follow on from a woman who was, as queen, more popular than the institution of monarchy itself. In fact, you see the institution of monarchy's popularity decline in this period. 
but actually Elizabeth remaining intact, partly because of her exceptional age, partly because she tied us back to nostalgic ideas of Britishness, the Blitz, Winston Churchill, etc. So that makes his job very difficult, comes with considerable backstories. The royal family, emphasis on family, was very much the Windsor brand in the mid-20th century. It was about the nuclear family, this idea of them being held up as of the first family, really, a model to aspire to. Certainly Elizabeth and Philip were held up as the marital model to aspire to, no matter what happened behind closed doors. Um, and of course, that's not the case. Things, social change. He's become the everyman king. You know, like half of us, he is divorced. Like half of us, he is arguing with his family. But unlike the rest of us, he is this hereditary anomaly where today, for example, in the news, we're being told we're expected or we're invited to swear allegiance to the king. Yes, this is something I wanted to ask about. I think for people who don't live in hereditary monarchies, for example, Slovakia is a parliamentary republic, the Pledge of Allegiance to a King sounds a bit strange. Do you think that people will really do this? I think some people will do it. There's always going to be a hardcore coterie of individuals who will um, believe in the idea of king and country till death us depart. Uh, this is the idea of British exceptionalism, which I think perhaps we're taking to an extreme at the moment. I was looking into it in the last coronation on the continent was in fact in 1922 in Romania when um, Ferdinand and Marie of Romania had this massive coronation because they'd just stolen a large part of Hungary. And it was about farming their new greater Romania. So that's what coronations used to be used for, a way of national affirmation. But nobody does them anymore, except for Britain. Well, why? We don't need to affirm our borders. We're a blooming island. I mean, it's a bit contentious in Northern Ireland and Scotland wants to pull away. Perhaps best not focus on that. Why are we doing it? It's about this exceptional idea of Britishness, this kind of reminder that unlike all other countries, we've held on to the tinsel and the baubles of our past. But the problem is, in this era of identity politics in a democratic age, can a king really expect allegiance from all of us? Can a white, Protestant, privileged man expect all of us or lots of us to pledge allegiance? I think that's pushing it. Will you do it? Do you pledge allegiance to King Charles III? Will I do it? Well, I've been so amused that even some of the columnists I most despise, I mean, that sounds a bit strong because I quite like her personally, but I can't really bear her political thought. Uh, Sarah Vine, for instance, in the Daily Mail, even she's come out against it. And I sort of think, well, if even Sarah Vine's against it, maybe I will be out there saying allegiance to the king just for the hell of it. But I think it's a mistake more broadly, whether I do it or not, is the by the by. I make my money talking about the royal family. The least I could do is pledge allegiance. What about King Charles' wife, Queen Camilla? The media reports that it somehow goes against the wishes of the late Queen Elizabeth that Camilla will have a Queen title. How do you see this? Well, it's been a long road with Camilla. Originally, she was just going to be Princess Consort. Then the Queen said she'd be Queen Consort, and now they've fast-tracked her to Queen. I think some people have felt it's a bit of an oversell. She comes with baggage. Harry, I think, has, uh, the, the Harry narrative has exacerbated the divide. There are many people who will always feel that she was the third wheel, the raison d'etre behind uh, the demolition of the Diana Charles marriage, which incidentally, I don't think would have ever lasted. So uh, it's a difficult road. She's not the unifying figure that, for instance, Philip eventually was once we got over the fact he was a Greek. 
We weren't very good at foreigners entering into our royal family in the 20th century. It's quite ironic, really, because of course, and you'll know this from the Austro-Habsburg experience of which Slovakia was part, monarchy back then, it was all about dynastic allegiance and you, 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 it was expected kings and queens married foreigners. But once Britain sort of stood alone and there was very few appropriate foreign royals to pick from, inevitably they had to be allowed to marry Brit. And then after two very nasty world wars, really the population only wanted their royal family to marry Brit. And as we've seen, we have issues with beautiful foreigners marrying into our royal family. We're not very good at handling it. You said that Charles will be a caretaker king. So let's look at the next generation, Prince William and Princess Kate. Their marriage looks a bit like a fairy tale, and even some of my journalistic colleagues act like huge fans of William and Kate. So how much is this fairy tale image of William and Kate a work of media, and how much is it real? Well, that's for them to know and us to find out. Is any marriage perfect, I would ask, if they hold it together? And um, if it, like their, like their grandparents, like William's grandparents, Elizabeth and Philip, was that a fairy tale? It had a fairy tale aspect to it. It had the happily ever, ever after at the very end. What goes on in the middle of a marriage is always a bit more complex, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. But what can we expect from William and Kate? Do you think that they want to be perceived similarly? to how Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip were perceived? Well, we know that William has very much modelled his style of, well, he's now Prince of Wales, but his sort of royal style on his late grandmother. He respected her, and I think he thought she got the balance right of public and private, and she was very coded and curated in what she allowed the public to know about both her domestic situation and her political thinking. And uh, we know that Charles, by virtue of his very long time as the Prince of Wales, and also it's, I think it's harder to respect your mother than your grandmother, um, has had greater difficulties. And I think that's understandable. It's a very hard act to follow the Queen's Act, and Charles had to wait a very long time. Of course, Charles waited decades to become king, and he's also bring a lot of family baggage to his reign. He's divorced, his brother Andrew had to settle a civil lawsuit over sexual assault, and of course, Charles' son Harry is married to Meghan Markle, and there, are very, and there are clear tensions between Harry and the rest of the family, and Meghan will not attend the coronation. I know that you talk about this also to the British media, so how much will the reign of King Charles III be affected by the various family issues? Uh, finally, I can tell you about that. Always historically, there's been an apathy among the younger generations towards monarchy. It's a symbol of establishment. And it's something that we tend to grow into because we realize in about our mid-40s, well, what a bore it would be having to elect some old president from a political party we don't really like. So we may as well just stick with the monarchy. Now, that's a realization that comes to us normally in middle age. The difference with the polling around the young generation at present, bearing in mind we expect them to be at best apathetic, is they are right now 38% of them actively antagonistic towards the idea of monarchy. 38% would like a different system. That's a change. Why has that happened? One clear reason. When Meghan came on the picture, you had this extraordinary couple who had a reach beyond the institution. She was a very beautiful woman of colour from overseas. Harry had an extraordinary backstory. He was a war hero and he'd had this tragic childhood. And together they were greater than the sum of their parts. And they spoke to a young generation who took them as a symbolic couple, as a sign that the monarchy was changing that actually it was leaning in to a different era, to different ideas of diversity and youth. 
the monarchy wasn't changing. The only thing that happened was Harry fell in love with a beautiful woman of color, American actress. That's the only thing that changed. So they bought into monarchy. And when you buy into something actively, it therefore has a much greater capacity to disappoint you and let you down. So when the fairy story crashes to the ground, those previously apathetic young people now feel antagonistic. They were like, we've been duped. And they also feel in the way that they feel Harry and Meghan were rejected, that they've been rejected, that this institution does not and cannot represent them. And in that, they're right in many respects. <laughs> but will it grow into an idea of, oh, whatever, it's a monarch and it means we don't have to have some old elected president? Maybe. But if you look at the polling for monarchy, which has been done from the 1980s onwards, their popularity has steadily declined. They still bag over 50% pr approval, but it's steadily declined from approximately 80% approval. So it's thinner and thinner the ice. But let's see what the new century brings. The king's green credentials can surely only help him as we heat up. But I'm going to have to go now because it's a busy time. And do you know what I did? The day, but the week before the coronation, I broke my ankle. So oh, I'm, um, and yes. I, and I, I'm very sorry about this. Yeah. I need to decorate. I need to decorate my boots. I need to get <laughs> some red and white and blue ribbon and decorate okay, my yes. boots. Do we have maybe time for one last thing about Meghan? Do you think that Meghan has been treated unfairly by the royal family? I think it was a combination of Meghan never really understanding or buying into what monarchy was, what British monarchy was, not really understanding or choosing to understand what it was. And the royal family, under this extraordinary reign of the Queen, not realizing that they had to lean into change and reform because they'd got away with it, because the Queen was this kind of panacea you know, mask over all else. So the, so the, the, they weren't bored and said, we would like this sort of quasi deal. Could we be half in, half out? Oh, we don't do it like that. Well, maybe that should have been looked at more carefully. But it, it was the old guard in charge. And nobody could ever felt they could ever criticize the Queen. But And it wasn't necessarily Her Majesty's fault, as Harry's always at pains to, to point out. But it just meant that there hasn't been enough interrogation of whether this state institution is sufficiently transparent and sufficiently flexible. And that has to change going forward. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.